next two weeks, we're going to talk about stewardship and finances. I want to share a couple quotes with you um, because it's a big deal, and it's a hard issue. It's not about making the plate, you know, pile it higher or pay off the flooring bill, but it's about truly a hard issue. And Billy Graham said it this way, if a person gets his attitude toward money straight, it will help straighten out almost every other area of his life. You'll, you'll see that quote become true as we get to the end today. That if we honor God in this area, we put Him first in this area, so many other things fall into place. A.B. Simpson, he's the founder of the movement you are a part of right here today, the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And A.B. said this, he says, As long as you want anything very much, especially more than you want God, it is an idol. As long as you want anything very much, especially more than God, it is an idol. And Albert Benjamin Simpson said that years, years ago. Uh, But one of the things that we've created to be an idol in our culture is money, right? And stuff, and materialism, and just the indulging in more, 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 bigger, better, the next best thing, right? The next best version. And it's put us in a heap of trouble. And I mean a heap of trouble. And I want to share with you some some good news and some bad news today. And uh, who wants to go with the bad news first? Raise your hand, because that's where we're going anyhow. Even if you raised your hand for the other, we're going for the bad news. I want to share some stats with you that are staggering um, of maybe how we find ourselves in a mess in the first place. Taking on too much debt, credit card, loans, uh, housing. If we could sum up everything, the re- one of the ways that we blow it with finances, we buy things we can't pay for and we can't afford. Uh, Not enough financial literacy to keep people out of bad financial situations. They just didn't know any better. Nobody taught them. That's why I'm so thankful. I see Gary up top, and Scott Euler was in first service, and we have Financial Peace University that that has on-ramps a couple times a year here for you to be in and, and learn some biblical principles with our money. So we're trying to do our part in raising the literacy level with not getting yourself in a bad financial situation. People trying to keep up with appearances. See your neighbor, you see your friends, you think, if they've got that, I definitely need that. And I think I make more than them, so I should have, you know what I mean? The list goes on, and we try to keep up with everybody around us. A heavy consumer mentality over an investor mentality, and I want to acknowledge from the very top today. Um, there are seasons we go through in our life, I've experienced them. You have, I'm sure everyone in this room has, where something comes your way that's unexpected and it puts you in a really tough spot financially, and we acknowledge that today. Um, we understand that. But at the same time, I think what you're going to hear today from God's Word is we can do a better job preparing for that time, right? If we would begin to, to, to put God's principles into play in our life, when that time comes, the wave won't be quite as big. And we'll be able to withstand maybe that tough time that comes our way. So let me share the bad news stats. This is about savings first. 20% of Americans don't save a penny of their income throughout the year. 56% of millennials, I couldn't even remember, I'm a millennial, uh, don't have any, barely, any money saved in a retirement account. So there's a big goose egg in their retirement. Many of them don't even have one open. There's no account open. The numbers are not met much better for older generations. 39% of both baby boomers and Gen Xers have put away nothing for their golden, for their golden years. Another stat from a financial website I read said two-thirds of Americans, if they, if they ran into a, a, a pinch where their car went out or something where they had to come up with a $1,000 emergency fund, 
two-thirds of America would not be able to do that because they're living paycheck to paycheck and, and really living beyond their means. Let me share the, the worst, maybe the worst stats, the debt stats uh, that really paralyze us as a country and as a culture, and, and it paralyzes Christi- Christians and our ability to give sacrificially and our ability to fund the, the gospel going around the world or being able to be generous with the people around us. The average credit card holder has at least four credit cards. And on average, uh, each household with a credit card carries $8,398. This was in 2018. This is an old stat. Uh, $8,300 plus on their credit card. Um, I'm not an interest and financial guru, but, uh, and I don't know everybody's interest rate, but if paying the minimum... Um, for the next 20 or 30 years, you'd be paying on that particular credit card. One-third of Americans pay the minimum on their credit card every single month. Talk about being paralyzed. Talk about being a slave to the debt. You pull out the little credit card in your wallet, and on the bottom, a lot of you may have one that says this. It says MasterCard. Is there anything more true than that card that's in your wallet that becomes a master card over you? It's an incredible stat. According to the latest from 2018, Siri's listening to my message and starting to ask me questions. So I don't know how that happened. She's, she's fact-checking me right on the spot. 2018, the Federal Reserve uh, said Americans hit the $1 trillion mark for credit card debt. Uh, we think that's bad. There's another stat that, we, that broke that. Uh, it was student loan debt hit $1.5 billion, $1.5 billion. of Americans spend more than they receive each month and borrow or use credit cards to pay off the shortfall. Total households debt is $13.67 trillion in the first quarter in 2019. Talk about just paralyzing homes and families and people's financial situations. There's new debt with the 1.5. I was reading a Forbes article just a few weeks ago, um, with the student debt being $1.5 trillion, a lot of millennials uh, and below fit into that, uh, 609,000 souls owe more than $200,000 in student loans, according to the latest reports. It's a lot of money. 200, coming out of school, 21, 22, 23, 200K. Uh, $1.3 million owe between 100K and 150K. And that's for the millennial group. Uh, There's even more bad news. There's a new group being formed that's finding themselves in uh, educational student loan debt, and it's retirees. Retirees. It's the fastest-growing group that's experiencing debt when it comes to college. 76% of them carry for their kids or grandkids. 24% find themselves averaging $23,400. This is from age 60 to 60. Nine, uh, it's over $85 billion that group of people owe in student loans. Talk about, what I say, paralyzing people financially. Uh, our national debt has reached over 23, nearly $23.5 trillion. So everywhere we look, right, uh, we've called this normal. This is just, this is how things are, right? Everybody's in debt. The country's in debt. My neighbors are in debt. Everybody's in debt. But God has a different, he has a different plan. He has a different way. He has principles all throughout his word that point to a different way. And he, he never intended us to, to, to live under the bondage and weight of just 
terrible financial decisions where we're just living in the midst of debt, right? Uh, money, uh, materialism, bad choices, all of these things can paralyze us, not just for a little short season, but for decades and on to our generation. But here's the good news. Remember, I was going to share some good news as well. God has a different way. And that's the good news we're going to talk about. That's the good news that we're going to talk about today. He even says in a proverb, we read uh, God say this, where, where we can change things today to where our future can be different. Those in this room. He says even our children's future can be different if we make better choices. And then he says even our children's children can have a different future because we make better decisions with our money. Proverbs 13, 22, a good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. For some, you're in the midst of that right now. For others, it may seem like this seems so far off, I can't even picture that day. But with the biblical principles that God has given us in His Word and the many scriptures that we're going to go through today, uh, we're going to see that this is a hard issue, and this can be achieved when we abide, when we're obedient, and when we choose to say, God, your way is way better than my way, and I choose, I choose that. Um, if you're a believer this morning, which many of you in this room are, you would believe this, or if you don't, you should believe this, that every single blessing, every single gift that comes your way is a blessing from the Almighty God, right? James 1.17, we went through that a while back. Uh, it says, every good and perfect gift is from above. But as the Christ followers, as Christ followers, we don't give and practice good stewardship and do all these things that God tells us to do so we can experience a blessing, but we do it so that we can be honoring and obedient to the, bless, to the blesser. Why? Because we serve a God in heaven that cares way more about what's going on in here in our heart than what's in your wallet or what's in your bank account. God is not up there going, wow, that's pretty impressive. Like He's not impressed by any of what we have. He's just not. But he cares about what is going on inside, inside our hearts. Hebrews 11, verse 6 says this. It says, and without, we just sang about faith, uh, and without faith it is impossible to please God. So here's what that actually means. Just say it a different way. Without faith, it is not possible. It's, it's impossible. It is not possible to please God. You can't do it without faith. And then he gives a couple reasons. He says, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, that he is God, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. We like that. Bring on the rewards, right? Bring on the rewards. Bring me a dump truck of money this afternoon. And he says, Matthew 6, 33, he says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That's our first step. And all these things will be given to you as well. Let me help you think. I heard this many, many years ago. We limit God's blessing. We think, well, a blessing from God is look at their house. I mean, goodness, look at the car they drive. God, we serve a God that is way too good to simply bless us with financial windfalls. We serve a God that is way too good than just to pad our bank account. His blessings, His gifts are incredible. The gift of relationship, the gift of your wife, the gift of your husband, the gift of your children, the gift of, of his provision, the gift of grace, the gift of love. We could spend all day long with all the gifts that God brings to us. And then one of them is he blesses us uh, by taking care of us and at all different levels, uh, but financially and with provision. So we do not seek him uh, so that we can get a good blessing. Oh, God, I 
Put some in the plate. There's got to be a blessing coming this week, right? That's not why we do it. We don't practice good stewardship. We don't give. So a financial windfall will open the mail and voila, there's this check or a $100 bill in my pocket tomorrow. That's not why we do it. We do it to honor the one that blesses us, to be obedient to the one that blesses us. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So we honor him first with stewardship. Why? Because he deserves our pursuit. He deserves our obedience. He deserves his children, the giver of every good gift that he showers us with, to give back to him, to trust him with the results after we do so as well. Here's the warning. Um, as soon as you start practicing being a good steward and like trying to do things God's way and be obedient, you'll hop in your car and you'll go drive down the road and you'll look left and right and you'll think, my goodness, I like that. I mean, that looks pretty nice. Uh, we, sh- we should be here, you know what I mean? And the list goes on and on and on. We'll drive by the Joneses. Anybody know the Joneses? Hopefully there's no Joneses in this room right now. And you think, how can I keep up with them, right? Every time I look at them, they're pulling something new and driving something new and fixing something beautiful on their house, and they've got all this stuff. And if the stats are true at the beginning of this message, uh, the Joneses are probably not as well off as you thought. And they're probably in a big pile of debt. And they're probably not in a good place on most circumstances. So don't pursue the Joneses. Don't pursue your neighbors. Don't pursue what the world tells you is good and great. Pursue what God tells you is the way that he's calling you to be obedient unto his, unto his principles when it comes to money. So Matthew 6, 24 says this. It says, no one, Jesus says, that can serve two masters. So he's talking to a lot of people that like to be in charge and think they know everything. And so he says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or uh, you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. It's oil and water. They won't mix. You cannot put them together. You can't serve God and money. You can't put them on the same level. It's God first. And money is something that we use to to live our lives, right? And to be a good steward with. So choose God first. What does it say in the King James Version? It's a word you may have heard on Bible studies in the past. Uh, You can't serve God and, some of your Bibles might say riches, other things, but mammon is the word in the King James Version. Uh, all these these and thous, and then mammon, he says, you cannot serve God and mammon. Well, what's mammon? Uh, mammon is riches. Uh, so Jesus is pointing to the Syrian God of riches, this false God, and he's letting them know he is not the one true God. And he's actually pointing back to the Tower of Babel. Remember the story uh, with the Babylonians and the Tower of Babel? So Babel, if you were to write what that actually means, it means confusion. And in Babylon, on is sown. Uh, So it's sown in confusion. That's what it means. You cannot serve God in mammon. You just can't. You can't serve God in riches. What did the people uh, trying to build the tower of Babel, uh, what were they trying to do? They were trying to use their resources, all of their talents, everything that they had, to reach heaven, to, get, to be in good graces, to be in good graces with God. And Jesus looks at this crowd and, and he says, man, you cannot serve both God and money. You can't serve God and the spirit of mammon. I don't know 
there, there probably is. There's a lot of crazy people out there. I don't know of anybody trying to build towers to heaven anymore. There may be somewhere in the world, right? But the spirit of mammon, the idea of what they were trying to do, I'd say it's lived out and played out in a lot of lives, not just here in the States, but all around the world. And we are serving, we are obedient to, and we are trying to honor the best way we can our riches and the money that's in our pocket. And what happens is it leads us to a mindset where we are trusting more in what is in our wallet than trusting in the God who actually placed that money in our wallet. That's what Jesus is saying here. You, you, can't, you can't serve both God and money. You need to trust me in this. You need to be obedient to me in this, Jesus says. Um, it was like July 30th, 1956. And I, I didn't realize this was so recent until the last couple of weeks studying. Uh, but July 30th, 1956, our country did a really good thing. And uh, Dwight Eisenhower signed a bill into law, uh, which is incredible. The House and the Senate like took it. I mean, it just shows the, the times of, of what happened. In 1956, July 30th, he signed a bill into law to put a few words on American currency forever. And you know what those few words are? It's up on the screen right in the middle. It's in God we trust. 1956, it doesn't seem like that was very long ago, right? I thought it was a lot longer than that. In God we trust. So it's almost like the House, the Senate, the President, the people during that time that were leading our country knew that the very thing that's in our money that's going to rob our trust, we're going to put our trust in that particular thing, uh, we need to put something on that to remind them, no, 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 our trust isn't in that money. Our trust isn't in that coin. It's not in that dollar. Our trust is in our trust is in God. So in a sense, we're saying to our money, uh, my trust is not in you. My trust is in a holy and a perfect and in a good, good God. I encourage you to look at it. When you, I don't know how, much, how many of you use cash anymore, but man, look at that often when you're spending it. In God we trust. Let me share something with you and see if you agree or not. If you don't agree, throw your bulletin. Like, wad it up, throw it up here. Living on 90% of your income with God's blessing is greater than living on 100% of your income without the blessing of God. Let me say it again. Living on 90% of your income with God's blessing or less, there's a lot that live on less, with God's blessing is greater than us trying to walk through this life living on 100% of our income without God's blessing. It makes me wonder and it makes me think, man, where is our trust? Where are we truly putting our, our trust? Are we putting money in its rightful place where it is not in first in our lives? We're not bound by it. We're not slaves to it. Uh, we use it to buy food, to bless people, to bless our family. But it doesn't own, it doesn't own us. You'll never hear me say money is evil. Money is not evil. Uh, bad choices. Um, Using money for the wrong purposes, buying things we can't afford can end up being the root of evil in our lives, right? But money is not evil. Go make a ton of it. But the idea is that we are good stewards with it and that we give our first fruits back. We give our first fruits back to God. It's not like you wake up in the morning and say, let me, is God first today? God is first every day, right? He's always first. But the question is, where are we, put, are we putting him in his, his proper place 
in our lives? Are we honoring him by letting everybody know that he is first in our lives? I want to read from Exodus, Old Testament. A lot of good stuff in the Old Testament when it comes to stewardship and us honoring God in this area. Exodus 13, 1 and 2, and then I'm going to skip to verse 12 and 13 if you have your Bible. He said, the Lord said to Moses, consecrate me uh, to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether it's human or animal. They belong to me, the first. Exodus 12, or 13, 12, 13. You are to give over the Lord the first offspring of every womb. All the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. Redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey. But if you do not redeem it, it's a little harsh, break its neck. Redeem every firstborn among your sons. So in the Old Testament, there was two categories for animals. Uh, there was unclean animals and there was clean animals. Which one do you think was the unclean animal? The poor donkey. So he was, he's in the unclean list. And then the lamb is in the clean list. Um, and then we know throughout Scripture that a spotless lamb is like the best. Like it's, the, it, it's, it's raised to the highest level. So what is, what is being taught in this particular passage for us to understand? He says if it's your firstborn and it's clean, it needs to be sacrificed. Which imagine as a farmer, uh, you just continue, farmers, there's somewhere in here. You get started out in life and you, you have your firstborn and you've got to trust God to kill this first. It's like, I don't know if I'm going to get a second one. How am I going to trust you with this, right? So he says if it's your firstborn, it's a clean animal, sacrifice it. If it's an unclean animal, that animal needs to be redeemed by one of your clean animals and then sacrifice it. Otherwise, if you don't, you might as well break its neck because it's going to be no good anyhow. Incredible story. Incredible thoughts. Your firstborn, giving your first unto God. Who is this passage pointing to? 3,500 years ago, 1,500 years before Jesus showed up onto the scene, it's pointing to to our Savior, Jesus Christ. When you were born, were we born, all of us, were we born unclean or clean? We were born unclean, right? Nobody had to teach you to be bad when you were little. You just did it because there's a sinful nature in you and you were a little terror in your parents' house and and you just did that because there was a sinful nature a part of you. And was Jesus, when He was born, was He clean or unclean? He was clean, right? And we know this clean, this clean Lamb of God became the sacrifice to redeem to redeem the unclean, all of us, so that we could experience wholeness and experience freedom in a relationship. There's nothing in between us anymore. A relationship with, with the Father. And He gave us His firstborn, right? His Son, His first. In the hopes that we would turn to Him. In the hopes that we would say yes to Him. In Romans 5.8 it says, But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So God gave us His first with the hopes, with the, with the, with the dreams of us then choosing, choosing Him. And we give our first, the first that He blesses us with, back to Him. Because He's a God that deserves it. And we trust Him that He's going to take care of us after It's a faith response to give. It's a faith response to honor God with our our finances. I mean, imagine the farmer that that he only has one, one lamb. And he says, 
that's the one you need to you need to sacrifice. You need to give it back unto the Lord. It wasn't, hey, go have ten and then see which one's the weakest, right, or which one you don't like, and then get rid of that one. No, it's get rid of your first. And then what I want you to do, once you give it unto me, I want you to trust me for provision. Trust me that I'm going to take care of you. Why would our God do this? Because he knew, we've read it in scriptures, the number one thing that would tug at our heart and pull for our attention and pull for our allegiance was what was in our pocketbook and what the, the resources and things that he has blessed us with. Matthew 6, 24 says, you cannot serve both God and money. And we all have a tendency to do it. We all have a bent towards trusting in the things that we have instead of the one that actually gave us those things and blessed us with them in the first place. So God actually built a remedy in uh, for us to check our heart. And one of the ways that he built this remedy in was through the biblical tithe. A biblical tithe is looking to a holy God and saying, God, you have blessed me with so much. You've given me so many good gifts. I want to give back to you. I'm going to trust you. I trust you enough to give my first unto you. And then I'm going to trust that you're going to take care of me after. Church, we're not talking about tithing and uh, giving and all that because we want to see our plates just like the ushers can't even carry them out, you know, when they leave the room. We're not talking about it to fully fund the flooring campaign by March 8th. Whether you're at this church for the next 10 years, 20 years, 30 years until you go home and meet Jesus, or whether you're at another church in another community because God moves you somewhere else, right? This issue is as real anywhere else as it is in this room today because it's a heart issue. It's not a CCC issue. It's a heart issue before our holy, before our holy God. And I believe we can't make God first in our life if He's not first in our finances. Like we can't say, well, God's first, but these spots over here, leave them alone. That's, you know, those are my things to deal with. No, God needs to be first in every area of our life. Some would say, well, tithing is like Old Testament. Wake up. We're in the New Testament, right? We're in the New Testament days, the New Covenant. I want to point to a passage where Jesus affirms. Um, if you want to, we could argue that all day, but actually I think the bar is raised in the New Testament to be radically generous, not just your first ten. Uh, but he says this in Luke 11, uh, in the New Living. It says, what sorrow awaits you Pharisees? You know how the Pharisees thought they knew it all and would try to pick at Jesus. It says, for we are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from our herb gardens. We're like... Here's, you know, here's a couple seeds for them and a couple for God. I mean, they would go all the way down to their herb garden tithing. Uh, but you ignore justice and the love of God. Yeah, you're giving a few seeds, but you're not loving people. You're giving a few bucks, but you're not carrying out. You're not carrying out God's will. You should tithe, yes, Jesus says, but do not neglect the more important things. So Jesus not only in, in, affirms the tithe, he almost uh, is like, like, let's move on from that. That's elementary. That should be something that just should be baseline that you do as a Christ follower, right? Get out and start loving people. Get out and start sharing the gospel. Yeah, we can talk about tithing. We can talk about giving your first to God. But let's move on. That's what Jesus says. Giving your first shows where your treasure is. It says in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there, will be, there your heart will be also. That's a great question. And not just for today, but a lot of days, is where is your heart on this area? 
Could you say unequivocally today, we're just doing the best we can to honor God with our finances and with stewardship. We're trying to do the best we can by living out the principles, the biblical principles that God has laced Scripture with. Or would you say something, would you say something else? Are you trusting in God or just all the blessings that He keeps throwing at you? And those are the things that grab your attention. Exodus 23, 19 says, Bring the best of your first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. Verse 19, what's the very first word? He says, bring. Eight times in Scripture. Bring your first fruits to the house of the Lord. You'll never see God talk about or anyone in Scripture talk about tithing with giving. It just doesn't, doesn't, it doesn't exist. It talks about bringing. Why would it say that? Because you can't bring something that's, or you can't give something that's not yours, right? You can't give something that is already God's back to God. We have a great neighbor, um, Jerry. He's in his 80s, single, right across the street. And uh, behind his house, he has a great, like, workshop of everything you'd ever want with woodworking, from saws to tools and you name it. And I've literally got nothing. Um, so every time I'm in the midst of a Tim the Toolman Taylor project and just ruining things, I'll go next door and, and, uh, and say, hey, Jerry, can I borrow whatever it is? And I don't even know what it's called, and he'll tell me and show me. Um, but let me, let me ask you this. Say I borrowed a saw from Jerry, which I've borrowed it. I probably use it more than him. Um, and I get done with the saw and walk over with the boys because we always go together and knock on his door with the saw and say, Jerry, you have been such a great neighbor to us. I mean, just fantastic. You've been good to the boys. You've been good to Nat. You say hi to us and wave every time you're out there mowing. And just a really great guy. We wanted to do something for you. And I say, hey, we got you a saw. Would he think I'm absolutely crazy? Because it's already his saw, right? I mean, why would I give him something that's already his? And yet we'll do the same thing with God. So God says, he didn't say give. He says, bring the whole tithe to the house of God. Eight different times. A tithe is giving our first to God. And it's just trusting Him with whatever's next. It's trusting that He's going to take care of us. It's trusting Him with our future. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with, your first, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Very agricultural community that he's writing to, but we don't give so our barns are full. We don't just simply give so he'll bless us with more square footage someday. We don't give so we can pay down, he'll bless us and we can pay down the car faster, right? We give because it's honoring to our God and because our God told us to do it. And I want you to know, and Anson's mentioned it, if not every week, just about every week, and it's on purpose. It's not about the amount. Never has been. There's some in here that can give a lot. There's some that can give a little. But God cares about the heart. There was a guy at a church one time a while back, and uh, he came up to the, they were talking about stewardship, and they came up to the pastor afterwards, and he said, man, thank you so much for the message today. Uh, it was just great to hear that. When I was growing up as a kid, um, my mom taught me that the first 10% of everything I make, I need, to, I need to give to the church. So for decades, I made 500 bucks a week. And it, without, without, every week, I would write a check or send cash in for 50 bucks to the church. He said, but your message, I, I got a real problem with it. And he said, things have changed now. And uh, I'm up to $5,000 a week now. 
and I just, I don't know how I can do it. And he said, would you pray with me? And so the pastor began to pray with the guy, and he said, God, I pray that you would knock this guy's income back down to $500 a week so that he would actually give 50 bucks a week. Isn't it true? Like, it doesn't matter the amount. It matters are we obedient, are we obedient with what God has blessed us with. And in this room and in this community, it's all over the map with what God has blessed us with. Malachi 3.10, I close with this. Bring the whole tithe to the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And then what does he say? He says, test me in this. One of the only places in Scripture where God says, test me in this. I would even encourage you, don't test him in anything else, right? Don't do it. But test him in this, says the Lord Almighty, and I and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. In every other area, don't test God, but God says, this would be a good area to test me. I want you to pass the test, God would say. I want you to be obedient. I want you to honor me in this area. Um, This church, uh, per capita with the size and where we are, is one of the most generous churches I've ever been a part of. I'm not talking about weekend offering. That's incredible. I'm not just talking about global missions. You're in the top 25 in the country, and we're by far not the largest CMA church. I'm talking about just the ways that this church rallies together, blesses people, loves people. Uh, one of our first service families is battling cancer and they need to get his wife home and they paid for her flight, all kinds of stuff last week. Hundreds and hundreds of dollars just came together. This church, there's so many in this church that know how to be radically generous. And I had a mentor tell me a long time ago, don't ever know what people give in the church. And I don't know. And I don't ever want to know. And I'll never ask. And if they tell me, I'll say, I'll plug my ears and scream because I don't want to hear and I don't want to know who gives who gives what. It's none of my business. It's between you and God. And uh, But there's while there's so many in this church that are so generous, I believe there's some today. It's time to step out in faith. It's time to take the risk. Uh, it's time to step out and say, God, I don't, I don't even know how this is going to pan out, but I'm going to trust you because your word says that your promises are good and that they're true. And I haven't been honoring you in this area, but today, from this day forward, I want to. And I would encourage you to take baby steps um, with whatever God is calling you to and give to the mission of God around the world. There's no greater movement in the world than the movement of God around the world. And the fact that we get to be a part of it, the fact that we can give our first fruits to it is absolutely incredible. Next week, I'm going to share some more stats. Just if Christians would baseline tithe 10%, nobody in the whole world gave above it, how it would eradicate numerous things in our world. If Christians would just baseline be obedient to God's Word. It's absolutely stunning, the stats that I'm going to share with you next week. But we serve a God. He made a way. He was all clean. We're unclean. And he says, I'm going to sacrifice my son so you then can be clean and be in relationship with the Father. I don't know about you, but that seems like a God I can trust with my money and that I can trust with being obedient in this area of stewardship. We're going to sing a song and take up our offering, but encourage you to think about, God, what are you stirring in me and what's my next step?